We're going to be in Exodus 20. Turn your Bibles there. This morning, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6, but I'm going to make reference to the rest of the commandments later on in the message, so uh, don't feel too slighted. I will get there, I promise. We'll be in Exodus 20 this morning. Follow along with me. And God spoke all these things, these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the household of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the father on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Oh, Father, as we examine the text of Scripture this morning, May, yes, the commandments be a mirror in which we see our sin, but may we at the same time see the Savior who fulfilled the law perfectly and lives it and lived it in our stead on our behalf so that we could have right relationship. Lord, looking at our sin is always hard, especially when it is as direct as idolatry. Lord, may we be honest this morning with where our hearts lie, where the idols in our hearts are, where the stations of worship around our homes and in our neighborhoods we have set up and continue to lay things before. May we be honest with ourselves. And may we seek honesty from those that we know love us and your son who died for us. In your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to share with you a conversation I've had. Oh, at least 10 times since college, including in college. I've had this conversation at college coffee shops. I've had it at a local Wendy's. Um, I've had it with high school students. I've had it with middle-aged fathers. And it always goes the same way, and it always gets me. It goes something like this. Hey, AJ, I know I need to get right with God. I know I need to get right with Jesus. I know I need to start following him. And then I respond with, well, come to church with me on Sunday. You can sit right next to me. And if you have any questions, you can ask me during the service. I think that would be a great start. Well, I can't, AJ. You see, I have to get right with God before I come to church. And it guts me every time. The response just kills me, right? It inverts the order in which salvation is granted. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that's had a similar conversation, whether it's with a, um, a friend or a coworker or a family member. No matter who you talk to, it can be a teenager or a nursing home resident, many are under the belief that I have to get right with God first before I step into his house, before I can be counted among his people. Our culture, which at least has echoes of Christian history running through it, believes this lie. It's the first fill in the blank on your notes if you're following along. That being made right with God exists apart from God. That it is only when I'm good 
that I can engage in a life of following Jesus. Scripture makes it clear, and Patrick highlighted it two weeks ago when he began his series, that this is absolutely false. God did not give his commandments to his people and then save them out of Egypt. He saved them out of Egypt and then gave his commandments to his people. And it's not this, well, I saved you, O Israel, now do what I say, you owe me. Which is many times how we take commandments. Are his commandments rules that we should live by? Yes, they absolutely are. I'm not minimizing that. But more so, his commandments are a reflection of his very character. His commandments are given to his people Israel to tell them who he is. Listen to the list of commandments again with this perspective. He is the Lord, your God. There are no other gods before him. He's the best. Do not, don't have other gods before me. I alone am worthy of worship. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. I create with my very words. Don't destroy with yours. Remember the Sabbath. I'm the God of rest. Rest with me. Honor your father and mother. I'm the God of honor. Honor with me. Do not murder. I'm the God of life. Do not commit adultery. I'm the God of loyalty. Do not steal. I'm the God that provides. Do not bear false witness. I'm the God of truth. Do not covet. Do not covet. I am the God that satisfies. I'm the God of shalom. You will be complete in me. While we might see the Ten Commandments as a list of demands, it is equally God's social media profile about section. The Ten Commandments are used by God to tell his people who he is and who they can be. And that, church, is the main thrust of the first two commandments that I want you to see this morning. If the first commandment laid the groundwork of telling us who God is, the second commandment reveals who we are. Exodus 20, verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Think about it. Why does God move from telling us to have no other gods to immediately telling us the type of gods we will run to? That transition should not be lost. Here's the answer. Patrick quoted it. Calvin said it. It's on bumper stickers. It's on clever t-shirts. It's your next fill in the blank. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And we all work at the idol factory. Every one of us. And there's always a vacancy because we're always creating new stuff to worship. The conditions stink and the union boss, Satan, could care less about us getting a fair wage. The hours are long, but there's universal health care, except the doctor on duty always prescribes the wrong medicine. Everyone wants to quit, but at the same time, everyone's applying for the next promotion. And the next promotion always promises happiness, more wages, less hours. And when you get promoted, none of that ever happens. But it does have a 100% score in one area. 100% of the time, the idle factory ends up killing you. 
Unfortunately for many of those idols, death comes long before dying. We're going to look at two things today. I know I'm being a bad Presbyterian by only giving you two points. I'm sorry. We're going to look at the idols produced at the idol factory. And we're going to look what's outside the factory floor. So let me give you a factory tour. That's our first point. The sign that hangs inside the idol factory is simply the definition of what idolatry is. It's a simple definition from the Dictionary of Bible Themes to your next fill in the blank. The worship or adoration of anyone or anything other than the Lord God. And the types of idols have changed over the years to reflect the hearts of his people in different cultures and different places. So let me give you a brief overview of Israel's idols, and then I'm going to link them to our idols, okay? If you remember the story of Exodus up until this point, the nation of Israel has just left Egypt. And you can pick up any children's book on the nation of Egypt and find that they have a pantheon of gods in which you can choose to worship. And not only that, their king, Pharaoh, is considered a deity himself. So if you're an Egyptian, the gods are among you and they walk among you. While Israel was in Egypt, Moses pleaded with Pharaoh, their God, to release them, but he did not. So God sent plagues, each attacking a specific idol or God they worshipped, until Pharaoh relented. Israel crossed the Red Sea, witnessing a miracle. Just put yourself there. Army behind you, fire comes down from heaven, stops the army, sea parts, you cross. That should leave you going, whoa for a while. You cross the Red Sea. You need water. He provides water. You need food. He provides manna and quail from heaven. It's the original Golden Corral. They're led to Mount Sinai and were told to prepare themselves for the Lord's arrival and they prepare themselves for the Lord's arrival. And when the arrival comes, it's better than any Broadway show, people. Smoke, Fire, thunder, lightning, sounds of trumpets. This is your typical charismatic church on a Sunday morning, right? Lasers, craziness. It's awesome. He gives them the Ten Commandments after Moses goes up into the mountain. Moses comes back down. He tells his people. And he is, again, called up to receive them on stone. And what happens? They wait patiently, right? Turn with me to Exodus 32 if you dare. Or you can listen. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up! I always imagine they're like waking him up or like he's in the middle of doing his crossword puzzle that morning, right? And they're, no, no, get up. Make us gods who shall go before us as for this Moses, this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, have patience, the Lord, oh no, he doesn't. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
You might be like me. You read some things in Scripture, and you're literally like, you have got to be kidding me. Right? You just, how many miracles did you just witness? You just had a Broadway show at the bottom of Mount Sinai. It's less than a month later. And you're like, you know, I don't know what happened to this Moses character. I always thought this people group, this story would make a great television sitcom, right? It'd be a comedy, unfortunately. We'd cry in the midst of the comedy too, because it reflects us. If I'd call it out of Egypt, if he was alive, I'd have Jerry Stiller play Aaron, and he would play it the exact same way he played George Costanza's dad on Seinfeld, right? These are your gods, O Israel! And while this seems so absurd, so absolutely absurd, we do the same thing. We, like Israel, are quick to replace Yahweh with the gods of our own making. Yes, our idols are rarely golden calves, unless you're a UT fan. But our idols are what we want. They're what we covet. Ephesians 5.5, Colossians 3.5 makes that abundantly clear. Israel wanted something tangible that they could worship like all the other nations. They wanted something of their own creation to be able to see something they did to grant themselves salvation, something that they deserve. Suddenly, grace is not a free gift of God so that no one can boast. To Israel, grace was, look at this calf. It has my daughter's golden earrings in it. You know, that's pretty special. Maybe the calf will thank me later. And it sounds so absurd. But in the idol factory, I think the job uniform is that of a circus clown, and I think most of us happily wear it. And the idol that is rampant in the text of Scripture is independence. When we break a commandment, we're saying to God effectively, you know, I can do things uh, better than you think. I have a better way of doing things. Do not murder. Well, they deserved it. Do not steal. (laughs) They didn't need it. I need it. Honor your father and mother. Well, they aren't good parents. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they saw that the tree was good for eating and pleasing to the eye and doubted the words of the Lord and trusted their own instincts. They said, yeah, I can be independent in this decision. When Abraham took Hagar to fulfill the promise, he did it his way. When Joseph's brothers got rid of him, it was because Joseph had visions saying that they would be dependent on him. And if you think people of the Bible are good at independence, just think of America. We don't just want independence. We don't claim independence. We declare independence. We got a whole document declaring it. And from the sexual revolution on, America, we here, began to see ourselves not as a community of people striving for a common good, but as individuals who have partnered together for mutual need. And that's on both sides of the political spectrum. In our country, self-actualization has become all the rage both on the side of atheism, and there will be many churches this morning that self-actualization is preached from the pulpit. Be yourself. Do what you want to do. YOLO. To be dependent in America is literally to be seen as a second-class citizen. Children, teens, let me give you a little bit of insight into our government. 
when we fill out our taxes, you know what you're listed as? Before you become paying citizens and where you get stuff from the government? A dependent. You're second class. I'm not saying independence is evil. I'm not saying you shouldn't grow up. I am saying that independence is probably, probably either your idol or the source of your idolatry. How do I know this? Because I looked in the mirror this week. It's mine too. Mom, dad, I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> Officer, does the speed limit really say that or am I independent from it? Hey, boss, lay off my back this week, okay? Pastor, no need to talk about sin. I'm good. Remember the conversation I relayed to you at the very beginning of the message. I know I have to get right with Jesus, AJ. I know I have to start following him. And then I responded, we come to church with me on Sunday. Sit right next to me. And if you have any questions, you can ask them to me during service. Well, I can't, AJ. I, 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 I have to do it my way. Frank Sinatra has a song called I Did It My Way. If the Star Spangled Banner is the, banner is the national anthem of America and imagine, and imagine is the anthem of atheism, I think Peter Kreft says it rightly that I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra is the anthem of hell. Let me read to you the first, second, and last stanzas of Frank's song. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. I plan each charted course, each careful step along the byway, but more, much more than this, I did it my way. And then I find the last verse to be the most poignant. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say all the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, but I did it my way. Again this week, I had to ask some questions to help me see the idols in my own life to help me see where I choose not to bend the knee, but instead to set up my own little kingdom as I declare my independence, both from you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and from my God. So I gave you some diagnostic questions. They're on your handout. I'm going to go through them with you to kind of help you find your idols, things that just should hopefully show you where you want it your way. What do, you, what, do you, what do I spend my money on? It's the first diagnostic question. What is the first thing I do in the morning? What is the first thing I think about in the morning? What do I spend my free time engaged in? I hated this next one. I hated this next one. What do I get most angry about? What is the most important thing to me? And if you really want to know the answers to the questions, if you really want to know, I'll ask you to do a hard thing. 
Ask your spouse. Ask your best friend. Ask your parents how they would answer those questions for you. Yes, I'm literally asking you to not do these questions independently. I'm asking you to strive for dependence. Why? You know who the most dependent person to ever walk the planet was? It's a Sunday school answer class. Jesus. John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Christ fulfilled the law because his very character reflected the law. He relied on the Father. He made no other gods before him and did not independently make himself to be like God the Father. Philippians 2.6 makes it clear. Who, though he, Jesus, was in the form God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Brothers and sisters, the freedom found in Christ is the ability to not have to do things independently, but to do life, to do love, to do suffering, to do pain, to do comfort, to do trials, to do deaths, to do births, all in the midst of others with God. And with his bride, the church. And when we flee independence, when we flee idolatry and cling to the triune God whom we depend on, that's when all our idols vanish. It's that is the ticket out of the idol factory. So what's beyond the factory? Well, let me remind you of the verse that we we're in today, starting in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you recall from earlier, keeping the commandments aren't just following a list. If the commandments are a reflection of the God of the universe. When you keep the commandments, you begin to properly function as the imago dei of God, as his image bearer. And you begin to reflect to the world all his character traits. That means when you keep his commandments, you become an ordered person. You have ordered yourself properly as one dependent on God. Commandments 1 and 2. Commandments 3, as one who controls his tongue. Not just by not taking the Lord's name in vain, but by speaking life into people around you. The rest of the commandments, you will be rested. You are honorable, life-affirming provider who speaks truth, and you'll be satisfied. Why? Because you quit the idol factory. You now have a new calling as a servant of the king. Now let's see how the story unfolded for the nation of Israel. Some of you know the rest of the story. It's not pretty. It did not go well at first. Moses comes back down. It's bad. Eventually the Levites were used to kill some of their brothers who had committed this crime against God. And then God sent a plague to Israel. Notice the similarities. Egypt worshipped idols. Plague. 
Israel worship idols. Plague. Don't miss that echo. Look, while God might not send a plague as we break the second commandment, I can promise you one thing. Your idols will plague you. And even more terrifying, they will plague your children too. As a parent in the room, that idea terrifies me. But we have a God who fulfills the law where we couldn't. We have a God who is the true Passover sacrifice that was foreshadowed in Egypt to the children of Abraham. You see, even after all the complaining, all the idolatry, all the you name it, God still gave his people Israel the promised land. And if you are in Christ, even after all your idolatry, all your complaining, all of the, you name it, he still promises you that same promised land. To both people, he was calling them home. Yes, much of this life is going to feel like you're in the wilderness, just like the nation of Israel here in Exodus. Yes, time and time again, we're going to fail in our trusting of God. We may fail to keep his commandments, but Jesus has gone before us and keeps them on our behalf. His sacrifice on the cross, coupled with our repentance and faith, give you the right to cross the Jordan. God has granted you the pink slip to the factory. You've been fired. Huzzah! And you've been hired in the land flowing with milk and honey, where there are many fruits and where the king is on the throne. Today, if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, if you're still working in the factory, if you are convinced you have to save yourself before you can be part of his family, I am pleading, I'm pleading with you, repent of your idols, especially the one of independence, and believe in the God who offers you salvation through his son. Your sins, your idols no longer have to define you, but the work of Christ is your hope and is the only idol worthy of worship. Today, if you're already a believer, I plead with you, just as Paul pleaded with the church in Corinth, flee from idolatry. As a sensible people who know truth, Find the idols in your life and cast them into the flames and be done with the stench of death that lingers with them. And the next time someone tells you about the job opening at the idol factory, tell them you'll pass. You already have a job as the servant of the king. Bow your heads with me.